It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Abby Hornacek. I'm Ben Dominich. I'm Dana Perino, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, May 22nd, 2023, I'm Mike Emanuel. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has warned leaders at the White House and in Congress they are running out of time to authorize the government the ability to spend more money. The government is expected to hit the debt ceiling in early June. As the calendar reaches late May, a sense of urgency between President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has intensified. The House has taken action. We've actually passed a bill to address this problem. The president needs to get directly involved in negotiations. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, a Louisiana Republican, weighs in. I'm Chris Foster. It's the weight loss drug millions of Americans have been waiting for. It causes you to feel less hungry. It gives you what's called early satiety. So if you are eating, you feel full faster. And it's really an incredible medication. And I'm Jason Chaffetz. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. The federal government's credit card, its ability to borrow more money, is due to max out in early June. The pressure has intensified for President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to cut a deal or risk major economic damage. The president updated reporters from the G7 summit in Japan. I've done my part. We put forward a proposal to cut spending by more than a trillion dollars. On top of the nearly three trillion dollars in deficit reduction that I previously proposed through the combination of spending cuts and new revenues. The president and Speaker McCarthy are due to meet today after a phone conversation with the president aboard Air Force One on Sunday. McCarthy also gave his perspective on where things stand. He ignored me for 97 days. It wasn't until the House Republicans actually passed a bill that raised the debt ceiling, limited what we'd spend in the future, save the taxpayer monies, and grow our economy so the market would be going up, not down. That's the only reason we're in the room. The politics are tricky as there are progressive voices like Senator Bernie Sanders calling on Mr. Biden to play hardball in the negotiations. But the clock is ticking And the stakes are very high for the economy and the American people. Right now, President Biden is going backwards. It seems like, you know, he's trying to run out the clock. He went over 100 days without even really negotiating with Republicans. After we passed a bill, look, we passed a bill to address the debt ceiling, but also to address the spending problem in Washington that got us here. Louisiana Congressman Steve Scalise is the majority leader in the House of Representatives. And President Biden doesn't want to deal with it. He wants to keep spending more money. Now he wants to raise more taxes. That's a non-starter. But think about that. At a time when the economy is struggling, when inflation is out of control, interest rates are out of control, President Biden's answer is to pour gasoline on the fire by raising taxes on hardworking families. Republicans are not going to do that. We want to address the problem. It's long past time that the president gets serious about this. So far, he hasn't been. Do you believe June 1st is a hard deadline? I think it's pretty hard deadline. Ultimately, it's in the hands of Janet Yellen and Treasury, but they keep saying that's about the date, so-called X date, uh, where there are no more extraordinary measures and the, the nation can no longer borrow additional money. Uh, the president needs to realize that he's maxed out the nation's credit card. 
with two years worth of some of the most radical spending we've ever seen. I mean, they're paying people not to work at a time when every small business is looking for workers, and it's costing us hundreds of billions. There's unspent COVID money at a time when the president said COVID's over, and yet he won't reclaim that money. Uh, we're talking about $50 billion roughly there. There's so many savings that we can get for the taxpayers that this president won't get, just basic work requirements uh, that he's, he voted for when he was a senator. Today, he even won't support that. So I think people are seeing that this president is so far extreme, being controlled by the far left, like you said, the Bernie Sanders wing of the party, and they can't pass a bill of their own. Show me anything that the Senate's passed on this. The House has taken action. We've actually passed a bill to address this problem. The president needs to get directly involved in negotiations. As we know, things in Congress can be very slow when there's not a deal. But once there is a deal, uh, would this move very, very quickly, you think, through the House and then ultimately to the Senate? Yeah, it would still take a few days to put together, but we're talking about days, uh, not not longer than a week. But the president's got to show that he's interested in getting a deal. So far, he hasn't done it. Look, he left the country. He's still out of the country right now and on the eve of that X date being hit. So, you know, on one hand, the White House is threatening default, not even paying our bills, which is just incredibly irresponsible. And they're threatening an unprecedented action like that while the president's out of the country, clearly this isn't the president's top priority, getting the fiscal house and the nation in order. It's been a week since the Justice Department released its report by Trump-era special counsel John Durham, who was tasked with reviewing the origins of the FBI's investigation into Russian meddling in the 2016 presidential election. Now that you've had some time to digest what John Durham reported, uh, what are your thoughts? Mike, this Durham report exposed some very disturbing things about people inside of some of these agencies like the FBI and Department of Justice who were dirty cops, who were not doing their job, uh, carrying out the laws and injustice blindly. Uh, they had a vendetta against Donald Trump, and they abused their positions in office to go carry it out. I mean, you saw what the Russian hoax, the dossier, uh, so many other things where some of them are listed by name. You know, when is there going to be accountability? When is the Justice Department going to hold some of those people accountable? And, Mike, there was one example where they pointed out an FBI agent abused the FISA court. This is a court that's supposed to be used for terrorists. You know, you go, you catch a, a terrorist in a cave in some foreign land, and it's 3 in the morning here, and they find the cell phone, and they want to track who that terrorist was talking to on a cell phone. They go to the judge, and they make a representation to get a warrant. Well, there was an FBI agent listed in the Durham report that said he lied to the judge to get a warrant to spy on American citizens. That person ought to be in jail. That is a criminal offense. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think a lot of people in America get really angry when they see that there's two different sets of justice. You know, if you go after Donald Trump, uh, it seems like they, they just look the other way. If somebody breaks the law to lie about the former president, in, including when he was president of the United States, in a candidate for president. It's it's alarming. There needs to be accountability. We're having hearings on this. We're going to bring uh, people in that were involved in this. Jim Jordan is the chairman of the committee that has jurisdiction. I've spoken to Jim. He's been doing a phenomenal job along with Jamie Comer, the chairman of Oversight Committee. And we're just getting started on the oversight. And I think people are starting to see some alarming things. And Mike, this is an important point. The American public would have never seen a lot of this stuff, including not just this, but also what you're seeing with this this crime web that was the, the Biden family, millions of dollars coming in from foreign countries. You wouldn't have seen that 
if you didn't have a Republican majority digging into this and getting the facts. We're not stopping. We're just getting started. To politics in the 2024 campaign, two guys you served with in the House are expected to jump into the presidential race, and I'm not expecting you to endorse anybody at this point, but um, since you've served with Ron DeSantis and Tim Scott, um, I'm thinking this is an opportunity for the audience to hear some maybe behind-the-scenes stuff about your experiences, first with now Senator Tim Scott. Tim is a wonderful, wonderful person, a wonderful friend. I uh, served with him in the House, still talk to him and see him uh, as, as a senator. And, you know, I think the, the, the best glimpse the American people got into Tim is when he gave the response to the State of the Union last year. And, you know, that's the toughest speech to give in D.C. And you've seen many political careers ended on it. You know, at best, usually you hope for a wash. Last year, Tim was probably the first person who did better in the response to the State of the Union than the president did in the State of the Union. And, uh, and the left went after him in a vile way like we've never seen. And Tim never never flinched. He, he's just a wonderful person. What about DeSantis? We know him as the governor of Florida, but he did do some time in the House. Your thoughts on him? Yeah, I served with Ron for probably about six years in the House before he ran for governor. You know, he uh, he was a, kind of an initial member of the Freedom Caucus. He would... Uh, you know, push for very conservative principles, but he was also on the baseball team. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's really where I got to know him. He was on the field the morning of the shooting. He, um, he had to leave early that day, but, uh, you know, he, he's, you know, he's a guy who I've watched, especially as governor of Florida, really come into his own. And, uh, you know, when I go around the country, I go to a lot of states. I don't go to Florida and New- I mean, I don't go to New Jersey and New York and Illinois anymore because so many of those folks have moved down to South Florida and, uh, You know, and he's shown a lot of leadership in the state opening up that state uh, when a lot of other people were shutting things down. How critical is this 2024 race for you in the House? I mean, in terms of you need a strong standard bearer, I'm sure, uh, in order to build on your majority in the House and certainly not lose the majority, right? Yeah, you know, the the House uh, is is the only game in town right now where you actually have conservatives in charge. Uh, The Senate has gotten more further left. Uh, you're seeing the White House is just literally being driven by Bernie Sanders and, and Elizabeth Warren and the AOC wing of the Democrat Party. Uh, the president himself not even calling a lot of those shots. It's, it's, it's really a shame. And so I, I think when you look at next year, everything's on the line. We've got to get the White House back if we're going to get this country back on track. And so, you know, you, you start at the top, that the, the top of the ticket's going to matter. And there's going to be a robust debate. You know, President Trump is leading the polls and you know, he, he's got a great record to talk about because when he was president, we didn't have these problems, Mike. You know, we had a great economy. We, we didn't have an open border. We actually had a secure border. We had energy independence. Uh, with all the bad actors in the world, you didn't see problems. You know, Putin wasn't going to invade Russia on or Ukraine. Russia wasn't going to invade Ukraine on Trump's watch. Taiwan wasn't being threatened on Trump's watch. Uh, Iran was not moving towards a nuclear weapon. So, all those things are going the wrong direction because this president, uh, unfortunately, doesn't believe in the American exceptionalism that, that provides a strong defense and, and a strong homeland. Things are really bad at home and they're really bad abroad. And I don't think there's ever been a sharper contrast between that bold conservative uh, philosophy of Republicans next year uh, and then what this president's doing. And not just him, this whole administration, Kamala Harris. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, you know, go down the line, show me one competent person in this administration. And I think that's all going to be on the ballot next year. And it's critical, critical that 
Republicans win the White House. And if we win the White House, I feel confident that we will also win the Senate and increase our majority in the House. Finally, you're about five months into being the House Majority Leader. I'm wondering what you've learned and what it's like trying to keep together folks from all across your conference together when you have a very narrow majority. What I've learned, Mike, is that if you bring forward those bold conservative ideas that have always worked, that have always gotten our country back on track, uh, we can unify our conference behind them, even with a small majority. You know, a five-seat majority means that if four Republicans go south on an issue, the bill doesn't pass. And so we've worked extra hard at bringing people together. I've been a lot of meetings uh, where we had different factions of our conference talking about the differences that we have as Republicans because, you know, we, we see things differently. But we also recognize just how different the far left is, the radical extreme big government socialists that we're fighting against on the other side in the House. And that if we don't come together as Republicans, they will win and the country will lose. And so we, we don't have the luxury of harping on our differences. we got to work through our differences. And we have, you just look at the border security bill we passed two weeks ago. You know, Congress has never passed a strong border security bill. It's been uh, generations since we've seen something pass the House of Representatives. And we came together and we said failure is not an option. We worked through really big differences within Republican sides. But ultimately, when you look at the border security bill we passed, uh, many people have called it the strongest border security bill that the House has ever passed in in our country's history. Uh, We don't have a Senate that wants to do that. We don't have a president that wants to do it. That's why it's so important that we hold the House, but we need to get the Senate and we need to get the White House. And we're going to keep doing our job as Republicans in the House, showing the country how you can fix these big problems with bold conservative ideas. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise of the great state of Louisiana. Grateful for your time, sir. Safe travels. Great being with you. God bless. Thanks, Mike. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. This is Jason Chaffetz with your Fox News commentary coming up. It's been around for about six years. The type 2 diabetes drug semaglutide, the most common brand name is Ozempic. Prescriptions have more than doubled over the last year and not for diabetics. It's taken off as a weight loss drug, much more effective than other weight loss drugs on the market. And more doctors are prescribing it for that to help their overweight and sometimes even not so overweight patients who want to slim down. This is an injection. It's once a week. And what it does is it mimics the signals in your body that tells your body to release insulin to help reduce your blood sugar. So that's why it was first created as a diabetes medicine. Fox News medical contributor Dr. Jeanette Neshawat. But one of the phenomenal side effects of this medicine is that it helps you to lose weight. It causes you to feel less hungry. It gives you what's called early satiety. So if you are eating, you feel full faster. And it's really an incredible medication. But we do want to point out that medications have potential side effects. So you always got to look at the risk versus benefits. And we've seen, you know, with the studies with semi-glutide, with Wigovi, with Manjaro, these are similar medicines that help with diabetes and weight loss. We are seeing significant weight loss. And uh, in addition to that, it's been found to help reduce your risk of diabetes, of Even if you don't have diabetes and you're just taking this medicine for obesity purposes, it can help prevent you from uh, developing diabetes. It also can help reduce the risk of heart attack and stroke and a whole host of other types of diseases that you could normally develop. 
with obesity, like what's called osteoarthritis, where you get knee pain and hip pain and joint pain. So it's a good medicine, but not without side effects. And that's why it's important to, you know, talk to your doctor about it and um, risk versus benefits, no matter what age group we're looking at. Yeah. Side effects like what? Anything terribly concerning? One of the comments, I shouldn't say it's common, but one thing that I have seen is what's called small bowel obstruction, and that can be dangerous, but it is easily fixable if you recognize it earlier. So basically your intestines, there's, you know, an obstruction in your intestines. And if you don't seek medical care right away, your intestines could rupture and that could, you know, require surgery and antibiotics and a hospital stay. So it's not common, but it's something that we have seen. Also, if you have any history of uh, what we call endocrine thyroid tumors, there's a concern for that. Also, what's called pancreatitis, which is just a fancy word for inflammation of your pancreas. And then the most common side effects we see are just nausea, sometimes vomiting, sometimes bloating, constipation. But, you know, for those that can tolerate this medicine, it's a good medicine. But here's the thing. You can't out-medicate a bad diet. You can't out-medicate a bad lifestyle. So my point is you can't just take this medicine and still continue to eat French fries and Twinkies and Doritos. It's one part of a of an approach to weight loss and diabetes control, meaning you want to make sure you're getting a good, well-balanced diet. What do I mean by that? Fruits, vegetables, especially like broccoli, green leafy vegetables, because seeing a high amount of colon cancer in the younger population. And then activity, exercise, circulation. You want to make sure you're getting a good activity uh, and good diet in addition to this medication. Because what happens if you stop this medicine, say you're taking it just for weight loss and you stop this medicine. We do have data that shows a year later, you know, a lot of people, they regain the weight plus more. So it can't just be medicine. It has to be lifestyle change. Yeah, so maybe, I know that's easier said, sure. said than done. So maybe as a, as a jumpstart, it works for some people. Can you theoretically just keep taking it forever? If you have diabetes, you have to. But if you're taking it for obesity purposes, then you know you can't take it until you're 20 pounds. You're going to be anorexic, not anorexic. You're going to be underweight. So for the purposes of, of obesity, it's not a, a, an everyday medication. But for the purpose of diabetes, you have to take it to maintain your blood sugar. So it's it's not meant for everyday long-term use for non-diabetics. When this first started becoming faddish, um, there was concern mm-hmm. about there being a shortage for diabetes, yeah. for, for diabetics. Is that still the case? That's a really good point. In the beginning, initially, yeah, it was very difficult for those who really, truly needed it. Because for diabetics, this is a life-saving medication. It's like you have to have your insulin. You have to control your blood sugar. Otherwise, if it goes too high, you can, you know, you can go into cardiac arrest. You can go into what's called DKA. So that was a major problem. But I am seeing that ease up a little bit. But it's still not very, it's not easy to get this medication. Um, you may have to contact different pharmacies. And we already have a shortage of a whole bunch of medications, cancer medicines, cholesterol medicines, antibiotics, and, and this is in the same group, but it does seem a little bit easier today versus three or four months ago to obtain it. Are most of your colleagues on board with this? Is it is it pretty easy to get a prescription if you want to lose some weight? I, I wouldn't recommend this if you're just trying to lose five or 10 pounds. If you have a high BMI and you have risk factors like diabetes, uh, high cholesterol, heart disease, absolutely. I'm going to do everything I can to help protect my patients. But again, the key is we don't just prescribe a medicine and say, go about your day. We have to emphasize the importance of nutrition and activity circulation. 
Otherwise, you will likely regain the weight after stopping this medication. I'm going to talk about kids for a minute. The study published the other day finds that this drug is effective for teenagers too. Um, I don't know if there's any particular concern with a growing body like this, or the, or is this is for kids that really have underlying health conditions that need more help, right? Yeah, and that's the thing. I, I think the, the most important thing when it comes to children is education, teaching them at a young age the importance of good nutrition. And it starts at home. You know, parents being good role models and purchasing you know, healthy food options. Of course, it's hard this day and age with economic inflation and we see the cost of milk and eggs and the basics skyrocketing. And, you know, fast food and processed foods are cheap and easy and on every street corner. But we are unfortunately seeing, you know, an epidemic of obesity in young children. And with that comes increase in diabetes. I mean, I'm seeing young kids with diabetes and high cholesterol. In this study that was conducted, just under half of the children who were on Ozempic showed significant weight loss to the point where their BMI was normal. But again, they will regain that weight if they are not active and if they do not have healthy eating choices in their life. Yeah, and more kids, about 500 last year, it's reported, had had bariatric surgery for weight loss. I assume that's for really pretty obese kids where other things like diet and exercise and these drugs haven't worked and it's a last resort almost to save the kid's life. Yeah, absolutely. Obesity is a disease and, you know, there's a stigma around it of, oh, you know, you have no discipline, but, but it's, it's difficult. You know, obesity is a disease, just like drug addiction is a disease. So uh, I'm quite sure that the parents and the families try to exhaust every resource possible before resorting to surgery but even people that have gastric bypass can regain weight if they don't maintain healthy lifestyle. So it's not, you know, a magic solution to take a pill or a shot or to have surgery. If you don't change your mindset and again, good nutrition and activity for life, then it's a possibility that you would uh, possibly regain the weight. But again, the purpose of these medicines and these surgeries is to help reduce the risk of diabetes, heart disease, stroke, and, and joint pains. The National Institutes of Health, I just want to talk more broadly about obesity. They say about two in five Americans are considered obese by their guidelines. One in 11 severely obese, one in three Americans just overweight. Those numbers just keep going up. They've been going up steadily since the early 60s. So we can't blame it just on, you know, sitting around playing on our phones. Right. It's about triple what it was in the early 60s. Why? Yeah, it is. I do believe, you know, um, that the pandemic exacerbated it. We were all on lockdown. You know, you were less active. Gyms were closed. You were told not to go outside. So I think that may have contributed to it. But also all of our foods, there's so much processed foods that are loaded with chemicals and, you know, aspartame and and fake sugars that force you to crave, you know, a few hours later, you'll have more cravings for sugar and sweets. Um, So I think a lot of it has to do with our diet. And, uh, you know, again, exacerbated by uh, the the lockdown pandemic, I think I saw about a 20 to 30% increase in uh, obesity and weight gain in BMIs because of that. But you know what, the good thing is, we can make change. It's not too late to make change. Start today, get on an exercise activity plan and work on your nutrition, talk to your doctor, get your family support, and uh, take control of your health. Yeah, you know, we talk about body shaming, um, that that expression, and not criticizing people's weight, you know, as long as you're healthy, yeah. we say. What's the medical opinion of that attitude? How do you balance not shaming people and maybe causing distress that way with keeping patients healthy? 
Yeah, so it's so important to be supportive of your patients and to encourage them and not to judge them. Body shaming is is bullying, in my opinion. And, you know, patients need help. Again, this is a disease and we want them to focus on nutrition and not develop eating disorders like anorexia or bulimia or body dysmorphic disorder, um, which we're seeing a lot of it, which is exacerbated by social media, especially in our young teenage female population. Um, so I think it's it's about having support and, you know, minimizing being on social media. I think that plays a massive role in this. And uh, just follow-up, close follow-up, I think is important. And, you know, making sure that you every two weeks you're talking to your patient, you're monitoring their progress, you're encouraging them, praising them when they are doing well, and also telling them, hey, it's okay if we fall you know, off the path. We, we're human. We, we can regress sometimes, but get back on that path of, of a healthy uh, lifestyle, healthy eating, healthy nutrition. Dr. Jeanette Neshawat, Fox News Medical Contributor, thanks so much. Thank you. Great to be with you. Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday, Vice President Kamala Harris is in California. She'll be visiting applied materials in Sunnyvale to tout semiconductor research and manufacturing. We could also see more candidates throwing their hat into the ring for the Republican presidential primary. Tuesday, John Roberts, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, will receive a medal at the American Law Institute's annual dinner and deliver remarks. Wednesday, a somber day for those in Uvalde, Texas. It's the one-year anniversary of a shooting at the Robb Elementary School, where an 18-year-old gunman killed 19 children and two adults. Thursday, actor Tom Hanks delivers the commencement address at Harvard. Maybe the Forrest Gump actor will tell them to run toward their dreams. That day on, if I was going somewhere, I was running... And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Tom Graham, Fox News. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jason Chaffetz. What's on your mind? Who is going to trust the Department of Justice now? In the wake of special counsel John Durham's long-awaited report, Americans now know there was widespread political collusion and deliberate deception from the very top of the Obama administration, the Clinton campaign, the corporate media, and the Department of Justice, all in favor of the Democrats. Not only did they abuse their power and lie to the public, they seemed to be proud of it. For this reason, both Democrats and Republicans should fear what could come next if they don't clip the wings of this rogue federal agency and institute serious systemic changes. If they can do it to Trump, and they did, then they can do it again to anyone. One thing has become crystal clear. The Justice Department cannot and will not police itself. The Department of Justice is unwilling and unprepared to discipline, let alone prosecute its own. That's one reason the work of the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government is so vital. 
To restore its position as a co-equal branch of government, Congress must lose its reluctance to wield the heavy tools available in the law and the Constitution. It can and must develop an independent means of enforcing congressional subpoenas. The threat of impeachment of Senate-confirmed bureaucrats must become more feared. The House of Representatives must unite to implement what is perhaps the most powerful tool, the power of the purse. And Congress should reconsider and expand the role of independent offices of inspectors general to ensure the Justice Department can no longer ride above the law. Congress can also leverage the power of the purse to play hardball by denying agency funding until the government produces requested documents and witnesses. But they don't. With all those options on the table, perhaps the most effective solution could come from empowering the government's independent inspectors general. Most everyone in government is currently subject to review by an office of inspector general. The ability of these investigators to subpoena documents, interview witnesses, and expose wrongdoing has yielded important evidence and numerous criminal referrals. But they don't have the authority to make any prosecutorial decisions, and they probably should. To the shock of most people, the IGs are prohibited from investigating wrongdoing by attorneys at the Department of Justice. Nor can they compel testimony once someone leaves federal service. And both of these need to change. Sadly, the American people have lost trust in some of the most important institutions, the Centers for Disease Control and the Department of Justice. And this may very well propel Donald Trump back into the White House. I'm Jason Chaffetz, host of the Jason in the House podcast and a Fox News contributor. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.